Stephen B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Stanley Hubbard from the state of Indiana, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Cordell from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Yusuf Al Ford from the state of Indiana, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring your program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly Basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and you'll find this show on page one of that website. If you have any questions or comments, uh, any of my co-hosts on this show, just send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can call Stevie B. Me, the production at the Carolina studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Church of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating the congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stand along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask you about with me a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine Word. Father, we pray that you would be with my co-host on the show this evening, Steve Cordell, as he break unto our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host, uh, Stanley Hubbard, as he 
answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you will continue to bless their families that support their efforts. They may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would bless our listeners who are tuning in to this radio broadcast via blog talk radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well. They may consider their eternal stance before you and that their hearts may be pricked. And it will cause them to ask the question of what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. For I pray to continue to bless us and keep us in love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, on the show this evening, my co-host, Steve Cordo, he has the first segment. He's an evangelist of the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question uh, from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out that I'll be posing to my co-host, Stanley Hubbard. He serves as an evangelist for the Kingsley Terrace Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. He'll be answering our question for this segment. And that's all we have on the show this evening, just these two co-hosts, ladies and gentlemen. So just open up your Bibles now and open your minds. And let's have... A great show. After the break, the next one should be that of my co-host, Steve Cordo. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Just for a crown of love in the light. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co host, Steve Cordo. And good evening, Stevie, and thank you for having me on the show once again, and welcome to our listening audience on the Blog Talk Radio platform or whichever platform you happen to be listening on. Thank you for taking the time to be here to. Uh, study from the scriptures, and if you uh, have a Bible, if you want to open up to uh, Romans chapter 6, that is where we will be starting, or if you're technologically savvy and having a Bible app, open it up to Romans chapter 6, and we will be starting uh, there, and that's where we'll be spending most of our time. Now, several years ago, there was a film that came out called The Princess Bride. Um, I saw it years ago once, I think. And it's a pretty popular movie, kind of a spoof on the fairy tale genre. Uh, Peter Falk plays a grandfather coming to read a story to his sick grandson. And it's a story, Grant, the grandson doesn't really want him to read the story because the Princess Bride's got a lot of romance and that sort of thing. And what 11-year-old boy wants to uh, listen about princesses and romance and that sort of thing? When I was his age, I was more interested in airplanes and things getting blown up and that kind of thing. That's just a guy, okay, just a guy thing. But it's a tradition in the family that this story gets read when uh, people are sick, so not to hurt Grandpa's feelings. Uh, He sits back and lets Grandpa read the story. It's Fred Savage from The Wonder Years uh, plays the grandson, and Peter Falk from the Columbo series plays the grandfather. And so the story centers on Princess Buttercup, who is a former farm girl who's been chosen to marry uh, Prince Humperdinck of the fictional kingdom of Florian. But she doesn't want him. She doesn't love him. She's lamenting the death of her one true love, Wesley, who was a hired hand on the farm where she came from. And whenever she would ask him to do something or give him instructions, he would always reply with, as you wish. 
and she f eventually figured out that that was his way of saying that he loved her. So before her wedding, she goes out on a horseback ride and ends up getting kidnapped. And Prince Humperdinck, of course, is trying to track her down. He's supposed to be also trying to find her one true love, but she finds out that he's not. And her one true love eventually returns, but now he's a pirate. And I'm doing this as a, as a very quick thumbnail uh, version of the movie based on uh, Wikipedia, the Internet Movie Database, and my memory. So I may miss a few things here and there if you've seen the film and, and know it. So, But after being tortured by the prince, the hero of the story, Wesley, uh, they think he's dead. And they take him to Miracle Max to get him revived. But Miracle Max says, no, he's not dead. He's mostly dead. He's severely weakened. And so they get him revived. And after being mostly dead, he's able to come back and go and take on the bad guys. Now, here's where I'm going to tie this into the lesson. As a Christian, let me ask you a question. Are you dead to sin or only mostly dead to sin? you ever stop to ask yourself that? Because according to Romans 6, we're supposed to be dead to sin. And it doesn't take too much looking around to see that uh, we've got a sin problem in the world. Sin is very prominent. Uh, it doesn't take uh, a lot of research or looking around a casual scanning of the local newspaper or news sites, if you're not looking at newspapers much anymore, to show us how rampant sin is. A daily demonstration of sin uh, is seen as we look at accounts of murder, stealings, dishonesty, drunkenness, anything that you might think of. And a lot of those things, by the way, if you notice, society isn't necessarily looking on them as sins anymore. Now, Romans chapter 5 tells us in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So that is the origin of sin. That's where it comes from. That is the original sin. And by original, I mean that is the first sin. The doctrine of original sin as taught by the Catholic Church and some other denominations is not a biblical-based doctrine. When children are born, they don't inherit the sin of uh, their parents. They might inherit consequences, but that's not the same as being held accountable for the sin of their uh, parents. And in Romans chapter 3, we see the nature of sin beginning in verse 9. Paul says that sin is present in both Jews and Gentiles. Now, you've got to remember that in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul talks to Gentiles. Chapter 2, he's talking to Jews. And beginning in chapter 3, he's talking to everybody. And when you read Romans, it's a good idea to pretend the chapter breaks are not there, because some of the chapter breaks are not in the best places. And as we're going to see here with chapter 6, that's not a really a good chapter break there. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see the consequences of sin. Wages. We earn a wage. And with sin, we die and are separate from God. The conclusion of our two spheres of life is that sin pays death, but God renders on the one who follows him eternal life in Jesus Christ. There's the two spheres, the physical, the spiritual. And the possibility of salvation has been made known ever since Acts chapter 2 and uh, Pentecost. God has never hidden the fact that he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
Now, in Romans chapter 6, we can see the reality of the salvation God offers. Look at chapter 6. Now, the context for this actually begins back up in chapter 5, at about verse 12. Uh, So as you read it, if you're going to read this in its full context, start uh, with chapter 5, go back about verse 12 and read on, actually verse 9, and read on and pretend that chapter break isn't there because he's anticipating an objection or a question that the Romans might have, and he's answering it here uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now Paul speaks of the importance here, of course, of immersion or baptism in the plan of salvation and the link that Jesus plays between man and God. But sometimes even God's people need to be reminded of the salvation that we have and what we enjoy. And this is also good for, this lesson is also good for people who who aren't Christians, because we're going to look at the biblical doctrine, or not doctrine, but the, the plan of salvation. Yeah, doctrine would be a good word to use there, and how, how, we, how, how it is affected. See, the issue here in Romans 6 is one that makes the case that there is no basis for a Christian to live a life of sin. Because many who had obeyed the gospel at that time uh, that Paul is writing, had acquired the notion that by sinning we would gain God's grace. And the more grace God gave, the better it made him look. So in other words, I I, I sin, do whatever sin, and I come to God and I pray and I ask for repentance. God uh, forgives me, grants me grace and mercy. And so that makes God look good. So if I go and sin again, and then come back and repent, and God gives me grace. The more I sin, the more grace God gives. Therefore, the better God looks. That was the idea that was going through the Romans' head. And Paul here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, is saying, no, wait a minute, uh, you, you got it all wrong. That, that, that's, that's not the case at all. He wants to dispel that myth. God's grace is no basis, no excuse, no reason for sinful living. And that old line, I think it was from Flip Wilson way back in the 70s, oh, the devil made me do it. No, that doesn't hold water. That, that is not uh, going to work. James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if you resist Satan, he will not be able to tempt you to sin, because sin in the end is a choice we make. Now, you can't control where temptation comes from. It could be, hit you anytime, anywhere, but it is up to you to... Uh, hold uh, fast to your faith, hold fast to what you know is right, and not give in to the temptation. So uh, let's, uh, oh, in James one twenty seven, keep yourself, uh, uh, the true and undefiled religion is to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. First John chapter 5, verse 4, John says that the one who is born of God overcomes the world and has the victory. 
And so here in Romans 6, Paul gives reasons why we should not live in sin. We can have the victory. We can overcome it. So think about as you're going through, are you dead to sin or just mostly dead to sin? Because Christians need to be dead to sin. Sin should have no effect on us. Paul, and look at verse 2. Paul is stating a possible question. This is the question he's anticipating. Uh, when he says, uh, actually it's verse 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. Now, I think the old King James says, uh, God forbid. But the idea is, no, we should not be continuing in sin so that uh, grace uh, can abound. See, the, the idea here is that God's grace should not lead us to unrestricted uh, sinful acts. Uh, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue? No. God's grace is not licensed to continue in sin. Paul is rejecting the idea that God's grace should lead us to that conclusion. He is affirming the freedom from the necessity of keeping the old law in order to be acceptable to God, but he never relaxes the ethical demands that are placed on us. Look at verse 6 of Romans 6. Baptism symbolizes our death to our old way of life and the beginning of our new life in Christ. And in baptism, that old nature is put to death. You are born again at that point. You are starting over before God. And he who has died to sin, look at verse 7, he who has died to sin is freed from sin. Now, many times over the years, I've noticed that when we talk to somebody about salvation, we present the gospel plan we treat baptism many times as the end. You know, hear the gospel, believe it, repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized, five steps of salvation, boom, we're done. But if you think about it, baptism is more like a commencement. Now, what's commencement? That ceremony, remember when we graduated high school or college, we went through a ceremony that was called commencement. Okay, now wait a minute. I just finished 13 years of education, 13 because I count kindergarten, uh, and I'm finished, or I just finished my degree, my bachelor's or my master's or whatever. And, and why are we calling this ceremony commencement? I'm finishing. Well, if you think about it, we are beginning a new phase of your life. You graduate high school, so where are you going to go? Okay, I'm starting a new phase of life. I'm going to college. I'm going to trade school. I'm going into the military. I'm going to work in the family business. I'm going to maybe uh, continue whatever job I had in high school for a year or so and kind of figure out what I want to do. It's a commencement. It's a beginning of a new phase of life. Baptism is a commencement. It is beginning a new nature, a new phase of life as we uh, come up out of the water and we are now going to serve God. And that is where we need to remember to really give the encouragement to new Christians Make sure that before they leave, they've got a, a stack of phone numbers, emails, uh, social media contacts. We've got to stay in touch with them. That's why we lose so many converts is because they go, remember, the, the new Christian is going to leave that church building. He's going to go home to his family, and he's, hey, I became a Christian today. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that's cool. Uh, what time does the game start? Hey, did you pick up the pizza because we got people coming? The family's not going to get it. So we've got to make sure they have a family of friends, a new uh, circles, and, and then we go out and try and, and uh, win their family and their friends uh, to Christ as well. 
Romans chapter 6, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 3. Then we go into verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now notice that is when we die to sin, is when we are baptized. So here's the question. Romans 6, the first six verses, says we die to sin at our baptism. Not before, not after. So, question. If one is not dead to sin, is one a Christian? So if I'm not dead to sin, if I haven't died to sin, am I a Christian? Well, the answer is no. And if one is not baptized or immersed as taught in Scripture, is one a Christian? Once again, the answer is no. We have to be dead. This is just like a body. You're at a funeral. Uh, I'm sure most of us have gone to a funeral or two, and the deceased is there in the in the casket. There's grandma or mom or dad or whoever. Nothing we can do is going to wake them up. I was at a funeral once, and a little girl, this is a true story, a little girl was, because uh, uh, I was there, uh, about three or four was, uh, we were going by the casket at the viewing before the service, and a little girl about three or four was standing up trying to see in, so her dad picked her up. And she looks in the casket, and it was a relative that had passed away. And she looks at it, looks at Dad, and asks Dad, is she asleep? And Dad, not really wanting to get into a deep theological discussion with a four-year-old, a three-year-old at that time, just said, well, yeah, I guess she could say that. Oh, well, wake her up. No, it doesn't really work that way, of course. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul told the Christians there at one time were dead in their trespasses and sins. Okay, that means you're not alive to God at all. You've got to to get away from that way of life. And Paul tells us that God's grace is not going to be given to people who walk according to the course of this world. That is, we should not be conformed to the ideas that are opposed to Christ. The Ephesians were walking according to the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. Now, it does not mean they were worshiping Satan and the, you know doing all, all the, uh, that sort of thing, but their ideas, their lifestyles, choices they made were not in accordance with God's will, and so they were living under, his, under Satan's influence. You're either going to be influenced by Satan or influenced by God. And the cause of the alienation from God is our own sin. When a person is separate from God, it is never God's fault. You've got to remember that. Someone once said, if you feel like you, you, you have a distance between you and God, who is it that moved? It's not going to be God. And here in Ephesians, Paul is emphasizing the lifestyle that Christians used to live. And in that state, they were estranged from God. And when we fall into sin, we are separate uh, from God. And because Christians are dead to sin, two things need to be considered. Romans 5 verse 1 says the guilt of sin is removed. Now, if you went to uh, VBS as a kid, you were probably taught that uh, to be justified means God treats you just as if I'd never sinned. And that's a good way to look at it. Uh, Because the sin is removed, we are justified, God's action is complete, and man is now acceptable uh, before God. Romans 6, you drop on down to verse 12. We see the desire that produced sin is to be controlled because in the cross, God has broken sin's power. He's made you free, so we should, you should live as a free man. God has accepted you as a, as a child of his, so act like it. Uh, you might have heard the story of a soldier brought before Alexander the Great, 
and uh, who had been really misbehaving, insubordinate, just kind of a troublemaker. And Alexander said, what's your name, son? And uh, the, the young man said, well, it's Alexander. And glaring at him, the king said, either change your conduct or you change your name. And when God has accepted you as a child of his, that's the way we need to act. We need to be the light that leads people to the Lord. And if we're not going to do that, we need to change our conduct or change our name. Because we are to be dead to sin, even though sin is not dead. Sin is still going to come back and, and, and hit us. Uh, even, even Jesus. You look at Luke's account of his temptation. When the temptation was over, it's, uh, Luke recorded that Satan left Jesus for a time or until a more opportune time. So he came back. He wasn't just going to let the I think Satan knew the stakes. He knew what was up. And he wasn't about to uh, let this go away without making a fight. But uh, Jesus withstood the temptation. He was tempted in all ways as we are, but was without sin, Hebrews tells us. Because we've we, we got to think, in cartoons, sometimes you'll see a uh, a termite that gets loose and devours a house in seconds, makes it a pile of sawdust. Well, you know, in real life, termites don't work that way. In fact, you could stand out, and I've, I've done this when we've been looking for houses, stand out on the curb, you look at the house, it looks really nice, it's got a nice, great, uh, beautiful paint job, the yard is pristine, the porch looks really nice, and then you go in and start looking around, yeah, this looks pretty good. But then you go over, cut a little hole in the in the drywall, the sheetrock, and you look in, and oh, there's all the termite damage. And you can see the termite colonies are going around. From the outside, it looks great. But it's on the inside where the trouble starts, which goes along with what Jesus told us, that uh, sin, adulteries and fornications and that sort of thing, start where? Inside. They rot us out on the inside and then work their way out and eventually can become actions if we don't do something with them. That's how sin works. Uh, and, and it takes time. It takes time for those termites to destroy the house. It can take time for sin to work its uh, way in us. But we've got to keep our guard up. We've got to remember to uh, resist Satan, flee from, from him, and, and um, uh, bring ourselves closer to God, draw near to God. So we need to be dead to sin as Christians. And then remember that we are in Christ. Let's go back to our text, Romans uh, 6. Look at verse 3 and 4. Do you not know as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through, de through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So in order to explain the Christian's relationship to Christ, Paul turns the discussion to baptism. He, he seems surprised. Paul seems surprised that the Romans are not aware of the fact they are in Christ. Christ is the source of our salvation. And baptism is the gateway into that salvation. And in verse 4, you see that we are to sever ourselves from our old way of life. The old self is the believer before we came to trust in Christ. And he's using this imagery. Paul is using the imagery of death for, I think, a couple of reasons. One, it's, it creates an obvious point of contact with the death of Christ. That's an important step here in Paul's, uh, the, in the argument he's trying to make. And, and it increases, uh, or rather, it's the obvious point of contact with uh, the severing our old way of life as well. 
and it's a powerful image of a decisive shift in our in our state or in our in our being the death of the old man is that separation from the body that uh, was enslaved to sin verse 7 he who has died is free from sin so there's the separation from our old way of life now since christians are in christ we have that special relationship with him galatians chapter 3 says that uh the, the exp- uh, tells us that we are baptized into Christ. As many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And this is to become a member of. Uh, and, and that is one of the things that the context of Galatians 3 tells us, that we are now a member of Christ. We are a part of Christ because we have been baptized into Christ. And that is uh, symbolizes our new spiritual existence. Now, being baptized into Christ, putting on Christ, that is a choice. Just like the clothes we wear every day. We get up, and if you wear a suit and tie to work, well, you go to the closet, pick out something, and put it on. Or if you wear blue jeans, you pick out a pair of jeans and a shirt, put it on. You made that choice. Now, if you put on that, that pair of jeans and that shirt, and you decide, oh, no, nah, it's going to be a, a hot day today. I don't need this flannel shirt. I'm going to put on a T-shirt. You made a choice to change And then you could just say, I'm not going to wear these clothes at all, take them off, put on something else. You made a choice. Putting on Christ in baptism is is a choice. God doesn't pick some and choose others. You make the choice to become a Christian, to be baptized into Christ, and then you make the choice whether or not you're going to stay uh, clothed in Christ. You can take it off. You can walk away if you want, and unfortunately, Christians... Uh, do that. The idea of eternal security or once saved, always saved is is just not taught in Scripture. Uh, Just like uh, sinner's prayer and things like that, those are not taught in Scripture. Uh, Those are man-made ideas. But getting back to our text in Romans, baptism is how we participate in and we reenact the death of Jesus. That's how we are reunited and indwelt uh, by the Holy Spirit in a non-miraculous way. The Christian is justified also by the blood of Christ. We were enemies at one time. If you just back up to Romans 5 and look at verses 9 and 10, he says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, by Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice that word enemies. That is a pretty strong word. Now, I know in my life, maybe, I don't know, five, six, maybe people, maybe fewer than that, that I would count as enemies. And most of that was when we were kids and just doing the foolish things we do as we're kids, as adults now. You know, I probably couldn't even tell you why it is that I counted them as enemies. It's been so long ago. But God, we were enemies of God. Why? Well, because of sin, sin separating us. So God took care of the problem. As enemies, we were hostile to God. We were hostile to Christ because of because of sin, and God cannot have sin in his presence. Now, when I see some of these modern Christians, they call themselves Christians, who insist that the atonement of Jesus is an outdated doctrine, um, they do not understand. What they're saying, essentially, is they do not understand the holiness of God. They do not understand just how serious sin is with God. And Jesus came to pay the price for our sins so we could be reconciled to God. So if you're in any group that uh, tries to make light of that or downplay, you need to get out and find a place where they are teaching the truth. Jesus 
came to pay that price so you could be reconciled to God. And that's Paul's point. God took the initiative to bring about reconciliation between God and humans. And when you become a Christian, you are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17, tells us. You are a new creature in God's sight, and so we should rejoice in it. That is something to be to be rejoiced, to be to be joyful and happy. Your sins are forgiven. You've got that burden lifted off of you. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new." Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God in Christ has reconciled us, has reconciled the world to himself, not impugning their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So it doesn't matter how good or bad a person thinks he is. It doesn't matter what sins. Uh, someone is committed. God wants you to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and wants you to be that new creation. And as a Christian, we have that new life. We're in Christ. We're dead to sin. We have that new life because of what Christ did for us. And our response to that gift, we are free from the guilt of sin. We have been acquitted. We stand before God justified. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11 tells us we will not be free now of adversity. We, we, are, we are free from the burden of sin. We are now uh, in Christ. But look over at Ephesians chapter, two, uh, chapter 4 for just a minute. And uh, Paul said, verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So we're not going to have a problem-free life. Well, the prosperity gospel says if you're a Christian and you're faithful, you'll be healthy and wealthy. That's simply not true. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the end. They put him on a cross. They, they beat him. Uh, they rejected him. Look at Paul, imprisoned and stoned. They didn't have easy lives, and I don't think you can make the case that either one was being displeasing uh, to God. So we will have adversity in life. Sometimes we simply just have to live with adverse circumstances. Uh, We can pray that they'll be taken away, but uh, sometimes we just have to go uh, through them. Paul had many adverse circumstances. 2 Corinthians 11 he detailed his sufferings uh, to the brethren at Corinth, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, robbed, betrayed by his own countrymen. He had to constantly defend his apostleship against various detractors, and many of Paul's opponents were old colleagues from Judaism. But despite these troubles, Paul continued to work for Christ. The adversities he encountered were considered uh, occupational hazards, basically. And because of Christ, we have a life of hope. Paul had that hope. You can have that hope. Hope is faith in the future as God's promises of an eternal home. Paul does not ever envision a time that we will not stand on grace. There's a couple. There's a double negative there. But, it, but Paul is inver- envisioning that we will always stand in grace when we stand before God. We do not want judgment. 
I know we, we had a lot of people running around, we want justice for this and justice for that, and we want justice. No, when it comes to God, you don't want justice. If you want justice, God will give it to you. But it's not going to be what you want. I had a friend years ago who once said, when I stand before God, I don't want justice, I want mercy. I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. I think that's a pretty good strategy. Because of Christ, we can have that hope. We can have that mercy and that grace and not have uh, God's justice and wrath come down on us. We can have, uh, as children of God, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, to those who receive Jesus, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. And he has given people purpose uh, since his earthly ministry. He came to give us life and give it more abundantly. Now, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, if you have received Christ, you have the power. I hear people say, well, I received Christ on such and such a date. Have you received Christ? Well, yes, I have. And congratulations. You now have the power to become a child of God. Huh? What do you mean? I thought receiving Christ made me a child of God. No. John says that if you receive Christ, you have the power. You have the right. You have the ability to become a son of God. You believe in Jesus, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. If you believe in God, you're at that level. You now have the power to become a child of God. You know, we just, uh, about half the states just had an election here a couple of days ago. And as a U.S. citizen, I've got the right to vote. Now, does that mean I vote? Well, no. And a lot of people who've never voted, never will, they have no interest in it. I know people that it doesn't matter what the issue is or the election, they want to be the first in line to cast their ballot. Okay, so if I have received Christ, I have the power. doesn't mean I am a child of God. But this goes back to Romans 6, that I need to be immersed uh, or baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins so that I die to sin. And then I am raised up to walk a new life. As Christians, we need to be dead to sin and, 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 and not practice sin. And as Christians, we, we are not perfect. We're just not controlled by sin uh, or its desires. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We are free from sin and from its guilt. So let me go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Are you Christian? Are you dead to sin? Or are you mostly dead? Or are you not dead at all to sin? If you have not been immersed into Christ, you're not a Christian. Now, you can call yourself one, but you're not a Christian unless you've been baptized into Christ and raised to walk that new life. And you do it out of faithful obedience uh, to, to the Lord, faithful obedience to have your sins forgiven. And if you're not a Christian, you're not sure, then contact one of us here on the show. We'll be glad to study with you or help you find somebody in your area so that you can be properly taught what you need to do to become a Christian. What is it you need to do to be saved? Thank you for your attention. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, uh, Stevie, on the show. And we will see you in the next broadcast. That's all I have for this evening. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. When I remember, remember gotta know, God, know what's best.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Stevie B Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. Tell them to the live show at 713 955 0508 and the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show on Tuesday evening we're hosting live shows here uh, every second third and fourth Tuesday of the month that show is called what a word from the Lord radio show on the second Tuesday of the month this show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on the second Tuesday of the month, we have a, guest, a special guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ who will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also during that show, we have the Creative Corner segment, and that segment is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. Also have three co-hosts on this show. Lou Gilbert, he serves as the evangelist for the... I'm sorry, I have two co-hosts. Lou Gilbert, he serves as the evangelist for the Overbrook Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves with the Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. They'll be making that proclamation of the gospel of Christ on this show every second Tuesday of the month. Then on the third Tuesday of the month, my co-host, Dr. Antherica Lane, she's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist. She serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio, and she'll be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And this show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. On the fourth Tuesday of the month, my co-host, Kelly Fletcher, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show, and that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Then on Thursday evening, I'll be hosting a live show, The Gospel Light Radio Show, and this show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-hosts, I have eight co-hosts on this show, Clay Phillips, Mr. Al Ford, Dr. Frank Washington, Steve Cordell, and Stanley Hubbard, and Robert Lee Johnson, Glenn McMillian, and Brian Christian Coleman. And on this show, my co-hosts will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And each week, I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. And then I'll also be asking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. I'll be posing to one of my co-hosts on that live show as well. Then on Friday night, I'll be hosting a live show, Stevie B. Acapella Gospel Music Blast. And this show is the 2022 recipient for the Nakama National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artist Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. This show will air from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices, and we're also interviewing artists, producers, comedians, etc. We're also debuting new music on that show as well as old music that we're featuring on that broadcast as well. And every third Friday of the month, we have my Top 20 Countdown show. And also, we have on-demand episodes wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from. Just go to the various musical platforms, whether it be Spotify, iHeartMusic, Amazon, I'm sorry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, uh, just to name a few. And we also have recorded versions uh, on that live show as well. And these recorded versions shows are mostly album debuts. I, I took my voice out of those shows. It's the same playlist that's used on the live show. I just took my voice out of the show. 
And these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio on Deezer and also on Amazon Music. And we also want to thank our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you want to become a sponsor, just uh, contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel of Life radio show. Stay tuned. Our Shout It Out question is coming up after the break. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good. 
pray for the sun. I thank him for the spirit. You know they help me overcome. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. We have a question from my social media platform, shout it out, that we want to post to my co-host, Stanley Hubbard. He serves as evangelist for the Kingsley Terrace Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we also want to encourage our listeners to uh, get involved in that group on social media, Facebook, and get involved in that biblical discussion. Now, the question that I have for my co-host, Stanley Hubbard, is, is depression a sin? Stanley, what say you to this question? Well, bless you. Bless you today. This is Brother Hubbard in, of the Kingsley Terrace Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. Pray that you're experiencing all the goodness, the grace, the mercy that God has to extend. I'm addressing your shouted out question for today. The question is, is depression a sin? <clears throat> is depression a sin? Let me begin by saying that most therapists would classify clinically important depressive episodes as either mild, moderate, or severe, based on the severity of symptoms that are present and the degree of its functional impairment. But depression is a common mental disorder. Globally, it is estimated that 5% of adults suffer from the disorder. It is characterized by persistent sadness, a lack of interest or pleasure in previously rewarding or enjoyable activities. It, It can also disturb your sleep, your appetite, it can trigger tiredness and poor concentration. These things are common. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, excuse me, Solomon expresses this idea. He mentions depression directly. In the King James Version, at least the New King James Version, he says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. This is a good place to begin. In this little couplet, God, by way of the wisdom of Solomon, provides both a diagnosis and a prescription that can help people grow beyond their depression. But really, another question is really this. <clears throat> can a believer and servant of God become depressed? You know, Elijah became depressed when he heard that Jezebel was wanting to kill him. Instead of feeling victorious after winning against the prophets of Baal, Elijah felt hopeless. He felt alone and he felt afraid. He had no low, he had low self-esteem and, and actually wanted to die. He wanted to sleep and had to be encouraged to get up and nourish himself. Elijah, a prophet, Elijah, a biblical hero, Elijah, a man of faith, Elijah was seriously depressed. If you, in passing, have been <clears throat> experiencing some of the following signs and symptoms most of the day, like, uh, or even nearly every day for at least two weeks, you may be experiencing depression. If you find yourself with persistent sadness or anxiousness or emptiness or being moody, feelings of hopelessness or pessimism, feelings of irritability, frustration or restlessness, it may be a sign that you're leaning toward depression. I'm going to share with you out of 1 Kings 19 the context of this experience that Elijah went through and give you insight to what God offers to him for direction. The text identifies that, that he had had a, he had, had a great victory in 1 Kings 18. I mean, he stood against the prophets of Baal, and, 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 and they, had, they were all put to death. 
a great victory. But chapter 19, verse 2, identifies a major disappointment when Jezebel determines, oh, I'm going to have done to you what you did to my prophets. That triggered, verse 3 says, a fear. <clears throat> the fear he had, verse 3 suggests, it triggered him to run for his life. Elijah now is moving in a direction. The fear is driving him away from his faith in God. The fear is driving him away from the trust he has in God. The fear is making him forget all that God has already done. The fear triggered him to run for his life. But while running, he did what people do who are depressed. He left his servant behind, <clears throat> depressed. Because depressed people tend to want to be alone. Isolation is a natural part of this sense of depression, isolation, puts you into a place where you feel the only way to deal with this, I don't want to be around anybody, I don't want to talk to people, I don't want to folk around me, I'll be satisfied all by myself. Isaiah leaves his servant and goes off by himself, increasing this emotion of depression. Depressed people in cognitive therapy is considered being a form of um, self-downing or, or not seeing our value. It's a, it's a negative view of yourself. It is, it is connected to your self-value, connected to your self-esteem, and connected to your self-perception. Elijah goes further. He went deeper into the wilderness where he saw an exterior environment that matched his emotions. He began to look around himself. And sometimes people that are depressed inside their homes, <clears throat> like Elijah inside their homes, their home looks like Things are unkept. Your office begins to look like you feel on the inside. And, and when you find yourself in depression, sometimes your very environment, just like Elijah, going deep into the wilderness, makes you, it looks more externally with how a person looks internally. Feeling of wanting to no longer exist. He, he said he wished he was dead. He wished he was dead. And so what God does, he, he passes out. He's awakened by an angel and told to eat. Because the journey is great in front of him. So he, he, he wakes up. He eats the meal. He goes back to sleep. I want you to see these are the steps that God uses to help him to recover. <clears throat> the, the text says he awakens and he eats the food and he goes back to sleep. Verse 7 says the angel wakes him a second time. Touched him. Said get up and eat for the journey. It's too much for you. So he, he got up and ate and he drank again. So now he's getting some nourishment inside of his body. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. And strengthened by the food, the text says he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. Reminding you the days of Moses in the same situation of 40 days and 40 nights. In the mountain of God. He's in the presence of God. The place of God. God lets him be in a place. He connects with him. He goes into a cave and spends the night in the cave. And the Lord appears to Elijah. And the Bible says, God says to him, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what, why are you here? What's going on? And the text suggests, beginning even in verse number 10, that he begins to tell God, I've been zealous for you. I've done what you told me to do. He's talking to God. The, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, uh, and, and they torn down your altars, God. They put your prophets to death. And I'm the only one left. Because when you're depressed, you feel like ain't nobody in this world but me. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I want you to realize something. People don't commit suicide because they want to die. They commit suicide because they don't want to live. You see, when the pain of being inside something feels greater than the pain of leaving it, that's when folks leave it. And that's where Elijah is. He's in, his, he's in his pain. He's in his struggle. He's in his complication. He feels empty. He's telling God, why am I even living? I should be dead by now. In verse 11, God tells Elijah, walk out to the edge of the mountain. He goes out there in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. And the text says a, a, a tornado came through, ripped the mountains all up. 
The wind was so strong, but God was not inside the tornado. And then the earthquake came through, and the ground began to shake and fall apart. And, and he saw that, and God was not inside the not inside the earthquake. It triggered a fire, and the great fire burned, and he saw the fire, but but God was not in the in the fire. But then he heard a, a soft, gentle whisper. When he heard it, he, he put his hoodie over his head. The text says, verse 13, and he goes back. Uh, he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. He, he, he's, he's, he is not impressed by what God has done. He's not impressed by the earthquake. He's not impressed. He's already depressed. He's in a mindset where he is so shaken by what he's experienced. He can't even fathom any value inside of this. He can't even see the power of God because he's so depressed in the mindset that he's in. And so God does something amazing. He asks him a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats his statement. God never gets tired of hearing you talk about your hurt and your pain. He wants you to see there's something he's trying to do. We're going further with this text. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. I might as well be dead. And God tells him, I've got others just like you. And I want you to go. Go back to where you came. And 40, 40, and 40, the 40 day walk you just did. Go back 40 day walk. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshah, king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shabbat, from, um, from uh, Abel Mahala, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who skip the sword of Hazel. He gives them a plan. Now, now, let me give it to you briefly what he really does. <clears throat> Elijah finds himself depressed. God wakes him up and he's all by himself because he, he just wants his life to end. And when you get depressed, you'll feel like this. God makes him wake up through the angel. He feeds him. He begins the process. Before you deal with issues of your soul, sometimes before you deal with issues of your mind, you've got to deal with issues of your body. He has to eat right. That's the meal. He's got to rest right. That's what he's got to do. Take care of the body. He's got to go 40 days walking. What's that called? That's called exercise. In other words, when you find yourself in depression, first thing God wants you to do is make sure you take care of your body. Get some good nourishment inside your body. Get you some good rest. Make sure your, your mind is rested. Because before you deal with issues inside your life and your depression, you must be able to deal with what's required inside of you to get to the place where your body is able to handle it. He has to eat right. He's got to rest right. He's got to exercise. And then when he finally does get to the place, God says, what's wrong with you? He, he got, and God, you will not hurt God's feelings telling God how you feel. Elijah basically says, I did what you told me to do, and it did not work. Here I am right now. I might as well just be dead. I might as well, everybody else is dead. I should be dead too. And God is not irritated and frustrated with Elijah's frustration or hearing Elijah. He and God basically says, go see what I can do. And God shows him the, the earthquake. He shows him the tornado. He shows him the fire and the small, still voice. And God's point is simply this. I'm God. I ain't got to come big. I ain't got to do a big thing to be a real thing. I'm God. And if it can be a still, small voice, if you trust me, if you know I know what I'm doing, if you're dependent upon me, then it doesn't matter how I choose to come. You need to know it's me in control. And I ain't got to do fire. I ain't got to shake the earth up. I don't need no tornado. I can take something simple as the wind and shake things up. I can do anything. I can use a small, still voice. But you got to understand, I'm speaking through that voice. 
trust my voice and stop trusting the big the big things like what you just did against the prophets of Baal. I ain't got to just work that kind of way because I'm God, he says. But twice he lists Elijah. Tell me what you're thinking. I, I ain't got no problem. Tell me what's on your mind. He tells it all. Eat right. Rest right. Exercise right. Tell God what's on your heart. And God will tell you like he told Elijah. You ain't by yourself. I want you to connect with other people who are just like you. You'll find the answer to your struggle and the answer to your pain because sometimes God lets you go through difficult moments and difficult times. The great thing about God is not that God will bless you to come out of your troubles. The great thing about God is only our God can bless you while you are in your troubles. Depression does happen, even to believers. But it gives you keys to finding recovery. It's not a sin to be depressed. Because depression is not a choice that you chose. It's a condition you find yourself in because you have a hard time handling the strains of your life. May God bless you. May God give you strength. May God give you peace. Let's, let's close with a brief word of prayer. Father God, I pray for those who hear this word who are battling right now with depression inside their life, who find themselves stuck in a room and not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to work or be around people. May they realize you're God of power and might and strength and peace. You've given us physicians when we can't get past the barrier because our minds can trigger chemical imbalances that deep drive us deeper into our depression. May we seek the doctor's help. You identify, you've given men the capacity to figure out how to help us through counseling, through medication, to get the help that we need. May we allow that to in, give us the insight we need to face these challenges and give you glory and honor. Thank you, Father God, for what you've done to bring us this far. And thank you in advance for the strength and peace you give us each step in this process. And now, in the name of the one who calms all waters, and in the name of the one who can calm every sea, and in the name of the one who can speak a world into existence with just a word, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. May God give you strength. And may God give you peace, even if you battle depression. Be blessed. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Hold on, hold on, 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of God's Word. I want to thank my co-host, Steve Cordo. He gave a great lesson in regards uh, to death and I really appreciate that brother coming on the show from time to time. He always does a great job. Also, my co-host, Stanley Hubbard, he answered our shout-out question, is depression a sin? These brothers always give a great answer to these questions. I certainly appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't take any of this for granted. I know this is hard work, and the brothers have been consistent on this broadcast, and I certainly appreciate their efforts each week on this show as they make their proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that the things that was taught on this program, the lessons that were taught have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio broadcast, but you're giving yourself over to a study of God's word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continued blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real, real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light radio show on behalf of my co-host. We really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Time keeps going by And I just wonder why I take things all along. Look back and it's gone. I thank God this that He is mindful. He cares that I exist. So I. Just wanna do all I can do. Walking in the light, staying in the light. A tear rolls down my eye. I take one look in the sky. I kiss this world goodnight Cause God has given me a new sight Hey I watch time go by Like a tear falling from my eyes In time, see, I didn't take my time. in my heart, Lord, incline your ear. I hear you in this. Oh, what shall I feel as I prepare the way? For that dreadful day What shall I do, Lord? What shall I say? Show them the way 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.